Praise God. I want to remind you of the words of Isaiah. Seven and a half centuries before our Savior is born. He says, for unto us a Savior is come, is born. His name is called Wonderful. We've got some wonderful in our midst today. His name is called Counselor. Mighty God. Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. That's what happened 2,000 years. That's what entered into the earth in an incarnate form. He lived his life perfectly. He died. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And the Holy Spirit was poured out so that we can receive that wonderful, that presence of the mighty God, that peace that goes beyond understanding, the goodness of God. The next verse says something that's very, very applicable to us. Verse 7 of chapter 9 of Isaiah says, Upon the throne of David... And over his kingdom, of the increase of this government, there will be be no end. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. There's a government that Jesus brought into existence in the world when he was born. And it says in declaration, prophetically under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, seven and a half centuries before he comes, 2,700 years ago, It says, of the increase of this government, there will be no end. That ought to give us something to praise and shout and to have joy and lay our hearts with. We look around and we see some things that are going on. Some things in our families, some things in our relationships. Some things in this state, some things in this government, some things in this world. I want to remind the house. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Praise God. Hallelujah. Father, you would bless our time like you already have with increased blessing, increased measure of outpouring of Holy Spirit in our midst today. In the name of Jesus, amen. The name Christmas is an English word. And it combines the Greek word Christos, which stands for Christ, or the Messiah in the Hebrew, and the Latin word mas, or misse, which means dismiss. And so my prayer for us today is a very Christmas prayer, that by the time we dismiss, we'll have a little bit more of Jesus Christ in our hearts. Merry Christmas. There's a lot of people that I could talk about in the Bible, in the biblical story of the nativity of Jesus being born. We've got King Herod. He plays a pretty big part. We've got magi. We've got wise men. We've got shepherds. We've got angelic beings. We've got some animals. But I want to talk today about Mary and Joseph. Their story is so inspirational And I pray that God would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive everything that he's speaking, everything that he's showing, everything that he's giving in this message. Lord, open up our ears to receive. As I'm speaking, my ears would be open. The eyes of my heart would be open. Our capacity to receive what you have would increase 
everything that you want to give us by way of heavenly gift on this Christmas Eve we would receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Mary and Joseph is a story of faith, hope, and love. Their stories are found in Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1 speaks of Joseph's detailed account of of his involvement in the coming of the Savior. And then in Luke chapter 1, we we read, among other things, we read the account of Mary and, and what she's going through in her lead up to being pregnant as a virgin. I'm going to leave those stories for you to read on your own. That is homework. In, in, a, in a good way. I want to draw us our, our attention to the faith that's involved in their decisions. In verse 39, we see Mary's response to Gabriel's conversation with her. Gabriel has informed her that she will be pregnant of the Holy Spirit. She responds to him and says, how can this be? I have not known a man. I have not had relations with a man. How can this be? And Gabriel tells her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the seed which is formed as a result of the Holy Spirit coming upon you will materialize in your womb as the Son of God. She responds in verse 39 and says, Be it unto me according to your will, according to your word. The word, word, is the Greek word rhema. And if you don't know what that word is, you need to know what it is. It's when God just doesn't write down words on a page. He doesn't just cause someone to sing a song that we hear with our ears. He doesn't just show himself in some way that we observe. It's when his word that he's speaking goes directly into our hearts. It's a rhema word that inspires us and persuades us to go beyond what we've ever done before. Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, has this response to his encounter with an angel. We don't know if it's Gabriel, it doesn't say. But it's a messenger from God. And Joseph, in response to what he's hearing from the angel, changes his mind. We need to understand that it wasn't just Jewish law that was against him and against sexual immorality, which was what everybody thought Mary had committed. It's Roman law and it's Greek law and Jewish law that all mandate he needs to divorce her. We get a picture when we behold the the fact that Joseph wanted to put her away secretly. It's a picture of the type of father that God in heaven is entrusting his son Jesus to have over him. It's one that knows the law, Joseph, all three laws, feels the pressure of society to cave in and divorce her, but does not 
in a dream, he's visited by the angel, and he receives a rhema word. Take unto Mary your wife. And what does he do? In verse 24, being aroused from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him, took her as his wife. Faith, you've heard described from this pulpit in many pulpits, many messages as coming from the Greek word pistis, which means to put your trust in something. But what you may not realize is that word pistis is rooted in a Greek word peitho, which means persuasion, to be persuaded. The essence of the substance and the evidence of the faith that is defined in Hebrews chapter 11 is a persuasion that comes from Jesus himself. When I receive that evidence and that substance of things hoped for, I'm receiving a persuasion from Jesus himself. Theologians across the board refer to faith as an inbirthed persuasion. When Mary receives her inbirthed persuasion in her heart, she's receiving tangible evidence and substance in her womb. The materialization of the Son of God in her womb is a type and foreshadowing of that which Jesus wants to happen in every single person he's ever created. He wants us to be born again where we receive the inbirth persuasion of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the door. He is the good shepherd. He is everything. He is the great I am. When we receive that inbirth persuasion, it causes us to go beyond whatever is in the way. Mary and Joseph had a lot in the way. There had never been something like this that had ever occurred. Obviously. It's never occurred since. They both say yes because of their encounter, the rhema that they received from God the Father. Oh Lord, I pray that you would give us all the rhema that we need to do your will. Because we are up against some major obstacles, some major challenges, some major trials that will shake us if we don't have the grounding of the inbirth persuasion of the Holy Spirit. Amen. John, arguably the disciple closest to Jesus, his head is on his breast at the Last Supper. He's coming along with Jesus, along with Peter and James and some of these encounters that only they share. He writes this in his first epistle, verse 4 of chapter 5, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our inbirthed persuasion. Jesus says, be of good cheer. In this world, you'll have tribulations. But I have overcome the world. What is in the world? 
John writes us a little bit differently and a little bit later in his epistle. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. There's an inbirth persuasion that happens in us where lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life, putting myself before others in an arrogant way, they all become small because of the revelation, the birthing in of God's promise, the birthing in of his living word, his inspiration, his breathed in spirit. I can't say it enough. So I'll say it again. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When he is inside, we can truly say, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. It is the truth that sets free and free indeed. Free from the confines, the prisons, and the entanglements, the ensnarements of everything that causes us to be held back from that which God wants us to break into, break through, and break beyond. In Jesus' name. The resistance is real. But God is even more real, and he proves it in the virgin birth. He proves it in his life, and he proves it in the defeat of our greatest enemy, death. Come on. Mary and Joseph are examples of hope. Theologian Joseph Thayer describes hope as the joyful expectation of eternal salvation. When we receive the inbirth persuasion of Jesus himself, we're receiving the empowerment and the grace to hope in Jesus. Let me say it this way. When we receive the inbirth persuasion of Jesus Christ in our hearts, we're no longer turning to the bottle. We're no longer turning to pills. We're no longer turning to food. We're no longer turning to entertainment. We're no longer turning to money, lust, greed, avarice. We're no longer turning to things of this world for solace, for comfort, for security. We're going in and through and beyond that because of what Jesus did. Defeating everything. I'll remind the family today what Jesus said and what Jesus did. He put all things under his feet. And he was given to be the head of all things to the church. That's us. Which is the fullness of him that fills all in all. There is a sustenance and a sustaining, a thriving that goes beyond surviving when we tap into the fullness of what God has for us in the church. Let's not get caught up in the entanglements and the ensnarements of looking at brothers and sisters and saying, I can't forgive you. I will not forgive you. You did this to me. You did not do this. You said this. You did not say this when you should have. And realize that this is the formula from heaven. Jesus as the head, loving our neighbors as ourselves. 
being one with him. Jesus prayed it. Father, he said in John 17, I and you, and you and me, that they would be one in us. The fullness of the hope that God has for us has a lot to do with us being better and better together. Praise God for that. Believe in the hope of the promise past the hope of reason. This is Johann Bengel's comment on an application of the hope that is eternal. We look with our eyes and we see names in this box. Hundreds of names. Maybe, maybe even thousand names. All kinds of names in this box. People that, if it is, buddy, not for long. <laughs> People that don't know Jesus. And the lists go on and on. And I want to tell the house that this box is saturated with intercessory prayer. Because people are going beyond what they understand with their reason. I'm praying for John. I'm praying for Sue. I'm praying for Sarah. I'm praying for so-and-so. I'm praying for this person, but I'm not seeing the fruit of what I'm praying for. But the hope of God that's founded in an inbirth persuasion from the eternal salvific Jesus Christ goes beyond what we reason with our minds. It goes beyond what we can intelligently comprehend, what we can logicize about. It goes deeper. No matter what we see and reason in the natural, the hope of God springs eternal. It's a hope that does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God is poured out in our hearts. That's the in-birth persuasion that causes us to go beyond and intercede for those that aren't saved, for the God's, God's will to be done in people's lives. When we get a rhema word, an in-birth persuasion about a particular illness, I've shared it a couple of times in recent weeks, the rhema word that I received from God, that this would be a place and this would be a region that defeats cancer. I want to be honest with you that I've been shaken at times when I've seen various ones in this house and various ones I know outside these four walls that have been diagnosed. I go back to Jesus and taking every thought captive, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, and taking every thought captive, we take it to the foot of the cross. We don't try to will our way through it. It's only by the grace of God and the revelation that comes from his in-birth persuasion that we are able to go beyond what we're seeing with our natural eyes. And so when those diagnoses happen, I go to the cross and I say, Jesus, you gave me an in-birth persuasion. I need your hope. I can only rely on your hope. I can't conjure it up on my own. I can't sustain it. I can't maintain it, but I need your hope. And when I am his, when my ears are attentive to him, when my eyes are focused on him, he fills my ears with good things. He fills my eyes with good things. And the sustenance that only comes from heaven, the daily bread that only comes from heaven, the rhema word itself fills our hearts. 
I'm just sharing personal example, and I'm going to declare it again. The hope of the promise beyond the hope of the reason, cancer-free in this region. In Jesus' name. Matthew quotes Isaiah 7. This is the hope. God with us. Emmanuel. I gave a word to somebody this week. I did a funeral this week. Our brother Thomas had passed away. And I gave a word to his son. Those of you that don't know Thomas, brother in the Lord, he had a son that passed away, and his name was Isaiah. And I gave this word to his son, Josh, who was at the funeral. Wonderful, wonderful young man. I said this verse, this is a quote from Isaiah seven fourteen. This verse, Isaiah seven fourteen. This is regarding the namesake of your brother, but it's regarding the heart's sake of your father. You knew him as an imperfect man, but he had Jesus in his heart. He had God with him. This is the hope that Mary and Joseph have. When they're defying the cultural norms, when they're defying all the expectations of those around him, when they're breaking the mold of Jewish tradition, this is the hope that they have in Jesus and Jesus alone. Emmanuel, God with us. That is a revelation that should hit us right between the heart, the bullseye of our heart. Theologian Miroslav Volf, he's a contemporary theologian. He is a Pentecostal Catholic, for those of you that might not know. He loves Jesus. He writes this about hope. When we cannot reasonably draw a line that would connect the terror of the present with the future joy, Hope remains indomitable and indestructible. It is a hope that does not disappoint. In other words, as Paul writes his epistle to the Romans, it's a hope that does not deceive. It does not let us down because the love of God is poured out in our hearts. Let's talk about love. Mary and Joseph, a story of faith, hope, and love. There's a few different types of love mentioned in the scripture. The one that's most frequently used of God is this word agape. And a lot of people do a good job describing it, but the Bible does the best job. What is love? It's God himself. It is God himself. He who does not have love does not have God, for God is love. Paul does a pretty good job under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, love is kind. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. It does not envy. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. These are some things of, this is some things of God's love. This is the nature, as he writes in 1 Corinthians 13. It does not seek its own, is not provoked. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
Love never fails. One of the weaknesses that we can have in charismatic circles is that we're going for healing. We're going for prophetic words. We're going for the manifestation of the charismatic gifts, the grace gifts of the Holy Spirit. Those are good things. We're supposed to pursue God and desire these things, especially prophecy. But without love, the Apostle Paul says, it's nothing. I can move mountains. I can have faith that moves mountains. I can have all knowledge. I can bestow all my goods to feed the poor. I can do these things, but not have the love of God in my heart. I can do these things out of ritual, out of me knowing, in my Gnostic aptitude, knowing what God wants and making it happen. You've heard me confess I've done that. I've got news for you. You have too, and there's no condemnation with it. (laughs) We all have a propensity to get trapped in these rituals, in these traditions, in the way of doing things, and all of a sudden we don't realize that we're not operating in the love of God. If we're not operating in the love of God, our inbirth persuasion is weakening. Because remember, that inbirth persuasion, the faith that comes from God, is Him Himself. It's love Himself. And when love isn't in our hearts and it's not being expressed, there's something wrong. I'll remind the house too that Jesus healed every single person he prayed for with perfect love. And he is our example. We're supposed to be imitators of him. Let's keep going with our gifts. Let's keep with the anointing of the charismatic gifting in all of us. I'll remind the house also, each member does its share. Ephesians, when Paul writes in chapter 4 and verse 16, he says, of Christ, the whole body. It's you online too. The whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, causes growth for the body, for the edifying of itself in love. Every single one of us plays a piece in that puzzle. That means every single one of us ought to be receiving the love of Jesus that goes beyond everything. It never fails. Stand to your feet if you want the love of Jesus. Praise God. John 3.16 says, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It was pure love that birthed Jesus, that caused Jesus to be conceived, and that brought Jesus forth into this world. It was pure love that gives us an in-birth persuasion when we ask for it. And I got news for you. We don't ask for it unless he's already birthed something in us, a desire to have it. So if you're here today and you're seeking this in-birth persuasion, the very fact that you're seeking it is a sign that God has already started a good work in your heart. You can't earn it. You can't conjure it up. 
You can't work hard enough to make it happen. It's the grace of God. And because he loves us, he roams to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on our behalf. I'm going to show you one more verse. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. Jesus boils down all 613 of the Old Testament commandments under the Mosaic law into two commandments that are also present, the spirit of them, in the Old Testament. He says this, love the Lord your God, number one, with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. In between those two commandments in Matthew 22, he says the second is like the first. It's like the first, they're equal. It's two sides of the same coin. You can't possibly love God without loving people. Let that one rest. (laughs) The amount that I love God may not be as extensive or as significant as I think because it's only the amount that I love the least of my brethren and my sisters. There's a strong correlation. It's a perfect correlation because it's Jesus who authored it. Let this be a house of love. Amen? Amen. Jesus broke his body for us. He broke the bread and he said, do this in remembrance of me. As we break the bread, he's calling us to remember that he broke his body for us. When he was born, he lived a life. And at some point, by the age of 12, when he's in the temple, he's understanding that he's born to die. He has the shadow of a cross hanging over his life. And he knows that his body is going to be broken. The reason that is so important for us to know is because it was pure love that caused him to do that. When we are partaking of his body, we're partaking of his love. And I want to invite the Holy Spirit, invite him with me. Pour in some of that love in our hearts, God. More of your love more of yourself. So those things that you've birthed in us to do, to break in, break through, and break beyond barriers in the commission that you've called us to, we can do it in your pure love. We remember your body broken in pure love for us and we partake. He said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. The very life source that he voluntarily gave. He did not have to die. He says himself, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself, my volition. 
Jesus, as we remember your blood spilled and the covenant that we have with you, that you would fill us with life, with love, that we would voluntarily go above and beyond in loving others and laying our lives down for others. We thank you that as we partake, that you're blessing our spirits, our bodies, and our souls. In Jesus' name. If Jesus is good, just give him a shout right now. (laughs) Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we declare that you are good. Jesus, you are good. Holy Spirit, you are good. Whatever you want to do, God, that's what we want. The rest of this Christmas season and into the new year, may we be in your presence, receiving the rhema and the in-birth persuasion that you want us to have. I bless, God, the multiple in-birth persuasions that you want to bestow on us, that you want to give us. We know that every good gift comes from you, and there is no shadow of turning in you. So we can count on it no matter what we see with our eyes, no matter what we're experiencing. You are all good all the time. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you would like prayer, we would love to pray for you and just expect God to do something good when we do. So just come forward if you would like prayer. Merry Christmas.